Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. How has this Advent season been for you so far? You know, Advent offers us this unique opportunity to remember who Jesus is and to reaffirm what that means for us today. Each week we've explored these different themes, the hope we have only in Christ, the love of the Father who would send his only Son, and the joy we experience when we realize that Jesus has come to restore everything that has been broken and lost. It's a beautiful thing. Hope, love, joy. And then today, peace. All of this reminds us of Jesus, reminds us that this child who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem is at the very center of our story and the story of the world. Advent sets us up to truly worship Jesus as we celebrate Christmas. I hope it's been great for you so far. Through these weeks of Advent, we've been reaching back to ancient prophets and witnessing God's divine setup for the first coming of Jesus. And I've appreciated the great teaching we've received the last few weeks. Rob Peterson a few weeks ago, and last week, Mark and Jessica Hagen. I've been so thankful for them. It's powerful to hear how God promised again and again, all throughout the story of God's covenant people, that a new king was coming. That a servant would come who would suffer and die and yet live again. Of a prophet who would be the word of God. Of a son who would be given, who would be born the savior of the world. And today we hear that promise again. Before we dive in, let's pray together. Holy Spirit of God, all of us who are gathered here online in this way, whether we're watching all together or maybe in the weeks ahead, I pray that you would invite us now, ready us to celebrate you. Lead us and guide us in your word, particularly as we hear these great words from Isaiah. We hear about your setup for Jesus. Would you set us up to celebrate you this Christmas? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, imagine, if you can, a culture that is being ripped apart by political divisions. People deeply suspicious of any government or religious or institutional authority, uh, convinced that the real story is not being told and unsure of what to believe. Can you imagine that? What's more, their way of life seemed threatened at every turn. Uh, uh, Powers and movements seemed intent on tearing down the very things that were important to them. And everyone was scrambling. Men and women, pauper and prince, 
each trying to make sense of what was happening and really looking to anyone or anything who would help interpret for them what was happening. What was happening culturally? What was happening socially? What was happening politically, theologically? Also that they would know what they were supposed to do so they could fix things maybe before they went completely off the tracks. Can you imagine a time like that? What time were you thinking of? I know. You were thinking of the 740s BC, weren't you? (laughs) The time of Isaiah, the prophet. During that time, Israel was facing a deep cultural crisis. Ominous threats were rumbling out of Assyria, and people were freaking out. Everyone was scared. What should we do? How should we respond? How can we make sense of this? Everything was a mess. Lies were everywhere. Media couldn't be trusted. Where was the truth? What were the people of God supposed to do? Why was this all happening? And there was plenty of opinions, of course, but what was true? And it wasn't that the truth wasn't available to them. In fact, the truth was being constantly told and yet consistently ignored. God had spoken clearly through his prophets, spoken clearly through Moses, had given them the law, and he would send more prophets over and over again to call his people back to covenant faithfulness, back to what had already been revealed. But at this point in Israel's history, few even considered that a viable option. It didn't seem practical. It didn't seem like it would make sense of what was going on around them. In fact, people were blaming both God and the king for the mess they were in, and they were looking for more practical solutions, more relevant, things that were, you know, connected to the times and would make sense of their world. Or so they said. Rob Peterson, when he led us through Isaiah chapter 7, he already told us how Isaiah confronted King Ahaz, the king of his day, which we should always remember, it's no small thing for a prophet to confront one of these kings. But he challenged King Ahaz to trust God to deal with Assyria. Even gave him this incredible sign of a virgin who would give birth, which was actually a prophetic telling of of, of Jesus coming, but did connect to his day. But the king wouldn't listen. Wouldn't listen to Isaiah. Fake news was everywhere, and foolish alliances were being made, and Isaiah himself was at a loss of what to do. And then God gave Isaiah divine insight which Isaiah wrote down, and it can be found in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. I'm going to read it for us from the New International Version. Here's how it begins. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me. So he's referring to himself, Isaiah, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Quote, this is, the, this is what God spoke to Isaiah. Verse 12. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. and Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Let's pause there for a moment. Do you see 
what is being told to Isaiah here. He's saying, there's a lot of options out there, things to be afraid of, things to go after, things to be worried about. And God is saying, look at me. I'm the one you should be concerned the most about. He's reorienting Isaiah to look back to Yahweh and not be looking around at what everyone else is looking at. We go on in verse 14. He, the Lord Almighty, he will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. We don't have time to go into that, but that's actually another big prophetic word about Jesus. And it's used in the Gospels. It's used in the Testament all the time to refer to Jesus. And for the truth, the people of Jerusalem, he, that's God, will actually be a trap or a snare. In other words, he'll be the, as, they, as they look away from him, he'll, be, uh, you know, he'll bring judgment. And then verse 15, many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. What's God saying to Isaiah here? He says, yes, lies are everywhere. And fear is ruling the roost. It's a culture that is, is just pulsating with fear. Don't let it dictate your heart and mind, Isaiah. Trust Yahweh. Look to God. He's the Holy One. He's the one that your life and your mind and your heart and your actions should be oriented around. He's the one worth fearing, not all this other stuff. Don't fall into all the schemes and conspiracies and and traps that everyone else is getting caught up into. Don't fall for them. Keep pointing back to me. Keep pointing the people back to me, even if no one will listen. And through the great prophet Isaiah, God vividly spoke words of both judgment and comfort. In fact, if you want to understand Isaiah, Isaiah is a big book, 66 chapters, a lot going on in Isaiah. But if you want to understand Isaiah, one of the things you've got to kind of get is that he constantly speaks in these parallel themes of judgment and comfort, judgment and comfort, judgment and comfort, often one after the other. And they run through the whole 66 chapters of Isaiah. Judgment and comfort, judgment and comfort. God warns his people of coming devastation because of their unfaithfulness. That's the judgment part. And then he follows up. He always follows up with promises of a restoration beyond the devastation. That's the comfort. He does that every time. And here in chapter 8 and then in chapter 9, God speaks of the devastation clearly. Listen to what he says again, right at the end, verse 15. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will snare, be snared and captured. And in Hebrew, this is actually a really brutal seven-word sentence that is just horrifying. It's kind of a, an all-is-lost moment in the narrative of God's people. And uh, it, when we keep reading a little further down, we're told that the people of God, they've outright rejected God's word to them. God's word through the true prophets, God's word through Moses. And rather than hearing the living God speak and orient their lives around that, they've gone after insight, wisdom, and guidance by consulting the dead through mediums and spiritists. And the result is more trouble, more confusion, more devastation. And so Isaiah 8, chapter 8, finishes with these hard words, picking up in verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead 
on behalf of the living. Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning, which, just pause, that's referring back to Deuteronomy. It's referring back to the law. It's referring back to what God has already told him. He says, look, why are you looking at all that stuff? Go back to what you already have. Go back to what God has already revealed. He goes on and says, if anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look forward. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Wow. Now that is a gloom and doom message, isn't it? It's brutal. No light of dawn, distressed and hungry, roaming the land, famished, enraged, cursing, thrust into utter darkness. This is brutal stuff, and it describes the way of a very lost people who've rejected God's living word to them. More than ever, people needed true peace, but they refused to come back to the only source of that peace. Instead, they sought their own way out of the mess, offering up sacrifices to ugly gods and making alliances with other kings and nations, all of which backfired on them and caused further distress and damage. Does that sound familiar at all? I actually don't see that our times have have changed that much. Facing mounting pressure and feeling the uncertainty all around us, we rely on on, on cultural gods and paradigms and perspectives that make we, we, we trust them to make sense of our lives, our condition, our crisis. We look for frameworks to make sense of things that aren't actually built on God's revealed word. Wondering what we should do, we look away from Jesus' revealed ways and will. We seek alliances with anyone and anything that will benefit us. We spend far more time consulting the mediums of our day. Social mediums. Cultural mediums. Maybe political mediums ideological mediums, or maybe just uncle medium and auntie medium that we meet over lunch. I'm not sure, but we consult these mediums who, yes, okay, they may not be trying to channel the dead, but our reliance on them is severing our connection to the living word of God and its ability to actually orient our lives. And like the people of God during Isaiah's ministry, We're called to look away from those things and look to the faithfulness of God first and let his word to us in Christ become our dominant word, become our whole interpretive framework, the lenses through which we see and respond to the crises that we're facing today. Because if we don't, we'll find ourselves stumbling in the darkness when all we had to do was turn toward the light. Well, Isaiah's words in chapter 8 close in darkness, an incredibly grim picture. But is that where it ends? Never. Not hardly. I've already let that cat out of the bag. Wherever there's judgment, it's followed with comfort. Listen to how chapter 8 flows into chapter 9. Remember, these chapter divisions were added later, so this is just seamless. Chapter 9, verse 1, following this thrust into outer darkness, we hear, nevertheless, 
there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. You hear the comfort arrive on the scene? It's beautiful. From gloom to no more gloom. The big nevertheless. That's how good God is. He never leaves people in the dark. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is a beautiful passage. This is one of the great prophetic passages that Matthew, the the writer of the first gospel in the New Testament, he picks this up and places it right at that moment when Jesus arrives on the scene in Galilee, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. When Jesus arrives on the scene and begins to heal people and announce that the kingdom of God is here, Matthew makes that connection. This is what Isaiah was talking about. On this land itself, the light has dawned. Jesus has come. Beautiful. But let's go back to Isaiah, because he wonderfully then begins to flesh out what this light coming, light dawning in the darkness, what it actually looks like, what it does for these people who were in distress. Listen, verse 3, you, he's now talking about Yahweh, talking about God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. He's talking about that expansion, meaning it's at a time of peace. There's, there's no more enemies. The, the joy has increased, and people are celebrating the total reversal of what has happened. They're living in a time of fear, and he's foretelling a time when that fear is gone because the enemies are gone. There's incredible joy. Verse 4 of chapter 9 of Isaiah. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Do you hear that? He's foretelling as the light dawns. What does that look like? Freedom from oppression. Where there's no longer someone who's beating you down, but rather there is true freedom that Yahweh has brought. Verse 5 Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. (laughs) What a beautiful image of the light dawning. War, truly a thing of the past. But how will this dawning come? How will this freedom, this expansion, this joy, this peace be accomplished? Only One way. Only one. This is our main text for today. This is where this has all been going. How will God accomplish all of this? Only one way. Through a child that will come into the world. And in one of the most famous messianic passages in all of the scripture, we hear God's promise to send his son Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us. A child is born. Remember, it's following on all these promises of the peace and the joy and the expansion and no more war. It's following on the light that is dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Wow. To people in gloom and darkness, Jesus came. To people confused and lost, Jesus came. To people crushed and oppressed, people that are war-torn and weary, Jesus came. And it's upon the shoulders of this son, Jesus, that the rule of the world was placed. And it's from his rule that peace would flow. The end of wars, the end of oppression, the end of terror and trouble, and the arrival of God's shalom, of God's goodness, filled with joy and with justice and the greatness of his government and its increase, there will be no end. Through the great prophet Isaiah, God God was promising his people peace beyond the pain, hope beyond the devastation, light beyond the darkness, committing himself to be faithful to them even when they were unfaithful to him. He was bringing comfort after judgment, life after death. And right there in the midst of this devastation that was going on during the time of Isaiah, God's faithful remnant were to look to Yahweh, to trust in him, and to hold on to his promise that a son was coming, a child who would rule. Well, how does that help us today? How does it set us up to worship Jesus? Specifically, how does it help us when we feel confused, when we feel lost or gloomy, maybe discouraged with the way things are today? What's God's word to us here at Advent, which maybe parallels the word that he gave to his people through Isaiah? Well, to help us do this as we move to a close, I'd like to focus on those four titles that were given to this child in Isaiah chapter 9. The first two are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Wonderful Counselor is one title. Um, most or a lot of commentators think that. It's, it, the counselor is wonderful. So wonderful counselor and mighty God. This son who was given, the one on whom the rule of the world was placed, was a son of divine wisdom and power. And Isaiah, in the Spirit of God, wants the people of God to hear that. Yes, this prophecy points to the d- divinity of Jesus Christ. That is for sure. But specifically, it reminds people that their salvation, the freedom and the life that they're longing for, but are often looking elsewhere to find, will only ever be accomplished through this Son who is given, through Jesus the Messiah. Through times of social upheaval, we desperately look for wisdom, don't we? We want to make sense of things. We need insight. We need power to understand and act. To act as the people of God. And what Isaiah tells us is that that son who is coming, or we know has already come, and this promised Messiah, he is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. And right there, there's an invitation for you and I. Right here on the fourth Sunday of Advent, 
Are you feeling confused about what's happening around you? Are you struggling to understand the mess that we're in, whether it's as a culture or maybe even just personally? Are you trying to understand and interpret what's going on so you can respond appropriately? Friends, this invitation to us is clear. We will only be able to understand and interpret what is going on around us if we will place ourselves under the leadership of this wonderful counselor, of this mighty God, of this child who has come to us here at Christmas. Well, what does that mean for us practically? The first thing it challenges us to consider is who are we consulting? Who do we consult? In other words, what are the sources of information, the sources of news, the sources of clarity and interpretation that we are looking to, that we are orienting ourselves around to try to help us understand what's happening? What are those sources? Are they news sources, social media sources, friend sources? Are they coming from my cultural bias, things I've always believed, things I'm firmly convinced of? Or are they coming from God's living word revealed in Jesus Christ? Who are we consulting? We have to examine and evaluate that. Like the people of Isaiah's day, we are challenged by God to look away from the things that we are fearful of, to look away from the things that we are dreading, from going after different mediums to consult and look back to the faithful God who has spoken to us definitively in Jesus. We are to let his story frame our understanding, interpret our world. And this is a big challenge for us. It underscores again the absolute crucial nature of our spiritual formation practices as a people. I've spoken on this at other times in the last year or two. But it has struck me profoundly that the spiritual formation practices of God's people are lacking. That we are often being formed spiritually more by a news source, more by a particular ideological or political perspective, that those are our spiritual formation practices. And friends, as the people of God, if you are a follower of Jesus... Our spiritual formation practices, where we are letting God's word shape our heart and mind, where we're coming to him in prayer, where we're letting the spirit, we're opening ourselves up to the critique and correction that God's word brings to our hearts and our minds, helping us interpret and understand what is going on around us from the word of God. We need that more than ever. And so it highlights the need for us to not only think critically, but to actually practice with intentionality spiritual formation practices like scripture reading, memorization, prayer, study, solitude and silence, spiritual friendship. These are just some of the critical spiritual formation practices that help us truly be rooted in God's word so that we can live from that, not be yanked around by other things. The second two titles Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, begin to tighten up this picture a little more. You see, they help us understand the nature of this son's everlasting government, the way that he brings true restoration and peace. The son 
not only told here, but as is then revealed when Jesus comes and then, and then revealed through the New Testament, the Son perfectly represents the Father. Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Son is the exact representation of the Father. And when we look to him, when people look to Jesus, they see God. And this title tells us that the Son's caring rule is a representation, a perfect picture of the Father's rule. And what we see in Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus, we look at his ministry, we look at his death, we look at his resurrection, we don't see a God who is swinging an axe. We see a God who is sheltering chicks. We see a God of care. We see a God of mercy. I was told the other day by someone, oh, God just wants to, if, if God knew the mess we were in, he would just bring judgment. Or, you know, and I thought, no. I said specifically, actually, God has already answered the mess of this world through Jesus Christ. He sent him to the cross for our judgment. It's already been done through Christ. And this tells us of the kind of rule that God has brought through Jesus Rather than God's true king being yet another oppressive tyrant, you know, just replacing one with another, this son's government will be truly for the people, a truly humble, serving, caring, faithfully representing. This is a kind of leadership that is fundamentally different than any leadership we have ever seen. It brings true healing and restoration and freedom. When we look to Jesus, we see that leadership. Through Jesus, all violence, all ugliness, all false ideas about God are proven untrue because we look to Jesus himself and we see the Father truly revealed. And that's really what it's meant by this climax of the four titles, Prince of Peace. Peace, as we've been reminding ourselves all through Advent, is not simply the absence of conflict, it certainly represents that. I mean, we even saw that earlier in Isaiah, you know, the, the, the end of war and all that, beautiful. But it's not just the absence of conflict. It speaks of the fullness of health and joy and justice and freedom. This is the abundant life that Jesus himself promised, now ruled over by the Prince of Shalom himself, Jesus, the Messiah. This is the promise of God. This son, this prince, not only will he be the Prince of Peace, He'll rule in the way of peace, the way of the Father. And this matters. You know, we're surrounded by a lot of theories, a lot of noise about how we are to attain peace, right? I mean, that's essentially what a lot of the conversation that's going on today is about. How do we attain peace? What does peace look like? Even conversations or maybe arguments about what justice looks like or what righteousness looks like, what freedom truly means and how we should get it. And ideologies rage. And pendulums swing. But any theory, whether it be a theory of justice, idea of love, uh, something that we think of as freedom, any of those things that we value that do not flow from the life and teaching of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will end up being an idol that enslaves us and destroys us. It doesn't matter what those ideas are. It doesn't matter what the source, where they come from, conservative or liberal, old or new, something deeply entrenched or entrenched or something, you just even things that seem seem Christian. Anything that does not flow from Jesus and his way of peace and his teaching is ultimately destructive. C. S. Lewis reminded of that us of that in his 
classic little book, The Great Divorce. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. He said, there is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns from him. Take any good idea, isolate any right thought, and then divorce it from the source of life. Divorce it from Jesus and elevate it to supreme status. And it will become a tyrant. Justice will become an ugly weapon of destruction. Peace will enslave. Righteousness will condemn. And freedom will oppress because God is the only good. And it's from him that all goodness flows. It's only as we look to Jesus and let his leadership rule our lives that true peace will reign, starting with us starting with our relationships, starting in our church, starting in our valley, but emanating out true justice and true freedom and true grace and true peace to the world around us, flowing from Jesus. Now, I might be being a little too esoteric here, but let me put this right on the ground. As followers of Jesus, Jesus leads us in how we are to respond to the crises of our day. He always does it. Every crisis that every generation has faced, Jesus leads his people to respond. And if we are to have any chance of being God's faithful people in our crazy time, then we must ground ourselves in his ways, in his thinking, in his teaching, living by his pattern, following his examples, using his prayers, letting his very life, as revealed in scriptures, shape our lives by the Holy Spirit. We do not, I repeat, we do not allow any other teaching, any other ideology, any other framework dictate how we respond or how we think or how we act. It's a constant temptation for God's people to already decide what they think is right or true based on these other paradigms based on these other gods or ideologies, based on their political persuasions, based on their background, to to, to already have made a decision of what's right and what's wrong, and then smear it all over with a bit of Jesus so it looks Christian. This is happening all over the place. And it's explaining much of what is going off the tracks even today. And the call of Isaiah to God's people, and the call of the apostles throughout the New Testament, and the call of the Holy Spirit again and again through the living word of God is that we come back to Jesus, back to the well of life, and that we submit our ways, our thoughts, our action, our minds to him. And we ask the Holy Spirit to discipline us, to correct us, so that we are living day after day by the Spirit under our Prince of Peace. There's a lot we can explore here. I just want to practically ask the question then, where are we getting our cues from? Maybe look around and ask yourself, what is the greatest crisis we're facing today? And what are the people around me, in my family, in my my social network, my friends, even here in the church, where are they getting their cues from? Don't listen for God words. Don't listen for Christianese. But ask yourself, is this response that I am even making, that I'm hearing from others, is it shaped by the heart and the life and the teaching of Jesus? Or is it just kind of being smeared with Jesus but really represents a whole other way of being? 
Let the Holy Spirit guide you as you explore that question. Because Jesus, our Prince of Peace, is calling us to trust in his leadership. Don't go consulting other things. Look to him. And as we do, then when we do interact with other things, when we listen to a podcast or watch a video on YouTube or talk to a friend, as we are grounded in the very word of God, as we're living in submission to the Prince of Peace, then we can begin to make sense of these other messages. And there may be truth in some of them, and there may maybe even, even helpful things in some of them, but we're not oriented around them. We're grounded in the Word. We're grounded in the Prince of Peace. And so as a result, we can begin to rightly interpret the crisis of our day and lead people to follow Jesus. Advent sets us up to worship and follow our Prince of Peace. My hope and prayer for us, the Erickson Covenant Church, for any of us who are exploring faith and, and trying to sort this all together, that we will find in Jesus the true source of life and peace. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.